Hi, everybody. On today's episode, we have Kirk Lindbergh on the show, a recent graduate of UVA and my personal finance guru. He breaks down some basic steps that you can take right now to take control of your financial future. Oh, and he's my little brother. Welcome to Beaming. special to me and my little brother, Kirk. Welcome to the show, Kirk. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. It's so weird saying your name normally because I really only call you Kirky. Yeah. <laughs> I never say your real name, but thank you for being on the show today. We are going to talk a lot about a lot of stuff that I don't understand it all. And that's why you're here today to tell us a little bit about finances, not Mm -hmm. even just a little bit, a lot. I feel like even just in the planning process for this episode, I've learned more things that I should uh, be doing with my finances. So stick around if that's a topic that scares you and you want someone to talk you through just some of the basics, especially for people just starting off in their careers. We're going to learn some really important things today. Before we get into all of that, I would love to have you tell us a little about yourself. So where you are, what you're up to these days, um, and just what your journey has been so far. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, thanks again for having me. Hopefully I can share some useful tips and basics on personal finance and investing. But um, I'm Kirk. I'm Sky's brother. I'm 23 years old. I graduated from the online University of Virginia. Oh, my God. (laughs) You were only online for what? A semester. semester. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's true. I told someone the other day that you graduated from the living room. (laughs) (laughs) You hit it right on the nose. But yeah, no, I graduated in May from the Commerce School with a concentration in finance as well as a minor in econ. So from a young age, I was always interested in business and entrepreneurship. I started a few businesses, you know, as a kid with friends. And with me. (laughs) True, true. Back in the day. Let's not forget all of our restaurants where we made our parents pay us to feed them the meals that they (laughs) cooked. And Kids Corner magazine. Oh my God, that was the best. That was mostly you though. But it wasn't really until the middle of high school when I learned about investing and my mind got set on studying finance in college. Now, what really attracted me to investing initially in studying finance was the power of compounding money over time and the ability of companies to grow organically. And as a result, grow your investment in them. Now, when I say organic growth, I mean growth attributed to increasing their revenues and profit through product development, attracting more customers through marketing efforts, reducing costs, etc. Versus inorganic growth, which is a company acquiring another company and growing that way, like buying out a company through taking out large amount of debt. But yeah, I I got to UVA and um, I got involved with a bunch of different investing clubs. So as I learned more about the myriad of different careers in finance, I got really interested in valuation. Um, How do you value a company? How do you value future cash flows for a company and put a number for its present value? And that eventually led me to um, learning about real estate and learning about how you value real estate investments compared to companies. And real estate is actually very similar to valuing a company in that 
it has revenue. It has, you know, money coming in from rent. It has expenses such as maintenance and repairs, et cetera. And that led me to joining a firm this past June with a real estate developer investor based in Northern Virginia as a financial analyst. So far, I've had a great time. I love the culture. I've learned a lot. And I'm really excited to see, you know, where my career takes me, whether it takes me further into real estate or maybe pivot and go into a different finance role. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. And it wasn't just an easy step into working for the company you are currently. COVID really uh, almost deterred you even from that job and you know that kind of real estate route in general. Do you want to talk about what happened there? Yeah, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions. So when COVID came around in March, when it got really bad and there was a lot of pessimism around it, as well as you know, pessimism reflected in the stock market when we hit the 52-week lows in, I think, March 24th. The market was down like 40%. But as a result, they rescinded their offer because they just, you know, based on their projections, they just didn't know how well they were going to do in the in the forthcoming year, you know, two years. So I started applying to jobs again. I started interviewing again. And then I got a call one day and they offered the job back. And this is a few months later, I think in maybe early June. But yeah, at that point, I was actually considering, I was like in the final round with a hedge fund in New York. I ended up not getting that. I ended up accepting the offer from the company I'm working at today and everything worked out. That is crazy. I feel like there must have been a lesson somewhere in there for, you know, something about you going back into the interview process. Maybe you developed those skills more during that time or something, because that is insane that you went. I remember we were all just shocked that you'd have to go through the whole interview process again. But I guess also that company really valued you and wanted you on their team. So when they saw the opportunity come back up, they wanted to bring you on. So yeah. that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Your first real job out of college. So what has that transition been like for you? You know, like you said, it's been interesting because, you know, I haven't been in the office at all. I started remotely, you know, I hit the ground running remotely from the start. Right. I don't like that. I wish that I was in the office. I wish I was you know, being able to build relationships in my network that way you know, going to meetings over Zoom. It gets old. Yeah, it gets, it gets <laughs> a little old. But um, luckily, you know, the company I'm at is very proactive in training me and getting me on the right track. They understand the circumstance. And frankly, yes, I'd rather be in the office right now. But one, it's safer not to be. And two, there are plenty of people going through much worse situations. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I have a job. Um, And I'm thankful that, you know, I'm still living here at home with mom and dad. um, I'm thankful that they're having me here. And uh, yeah. And Yachty. And the little boy. Little Yachty, our cute doggy. Well, I mean, you've been through ups and downs in your high school and college career. And now starting off your professional career like this, definitely. I mean, it tried to throw a wrench in, in your plans, but, you know, there's a reason why it all came to fruition and you're with this company and you can grow with them. And, you know, maybe one day you will be in that office. You never know how things will turn out. So I think that another lesson to learn from it is, you know, when something happens to you, when they rescinded their offer in the moment, I thought it was bad in the moment. 
it was negative. I ended up getting the job back. And, you know, at the time I, I defined it as a negative moment. You know, I let worry come up. I I let that kind of bring me down, but in the end I got it back. So, you know, whether or not you get one job or another, you might end up getting a better job. So it's important to kind of be present and be aware before you. Yeah. You would have gotten that other job in New York if it wasn't meant to be, you know what I mean? Like, right. It's, it's hard to think that way, though. And I think I, I definitely is, am someone who it, it takes a minute to realize categorizing something as a negative or a bad event. It takes time and growth to take a step back before putting it in that category. But it's great that you can look back and, and realize that it was meant to be that way. And that I mean, that company was sad to let you go. They did not want to like take away the offer. And you knew by that that they were good people and really valued mm-hmm. who you were as a young professional. So I think it's it's great that you're still with that company and you'll learn so much as you already are. And speaking of learning... How about we step into some of our (laughs) big topics? Kirk and I have been talking a lot about what is going to be most beneficial for the average listener. I know what will be beneficial for me as someone who, first of all, doesn't make much money. Mm. As an artist, I probably, I mean, I will one day make a lot of money. Don't want to, you know, trick myself there. Um, But (laughs) balancing finances with making whatever amount is difficult. So just starting with the very basics of personal finance, I think would be a great place to start. So what do you think that starting point would be? Well, first and foremost, I actually, I'm not saving at all. I'm not investing at all because I'm banking off you uh, making it big. Oh, good. Good. That is really, well, this is weird because I was banking on you being a millionaire. We're in a bit of a catch 22 here. Um, I was going to say our parents are really unlucky at this. (laughs) I was thinking we'd do some personal finance 101 um, and just kind of skim the basics here in terms of, you know, three areas. I think that everyone should consider implementing into their life. Okay. One, budgeting. Two, making an emergency fund and putting money into that. And three, saving for retirement on a monthly basis. And to start with number one, there are a few apps and websites that you can use to do this and they simplify and they make it really easy and honestly a little fun. But really you just input your monthly or bi-weekly income. You input your rent you know, how much your utilities are, your living expenses, you name it. And then your retirement contributions, how much you want to save and invest every paycheck. And it really helps you organize and, you know, allocate your income in a deliberate way. It helps you cut back on, you know, random spending. Maybe you spend 500 a month, let's just say, on yourself, on clothing, on, you know, food that you don't consider a living expense, etc. But yeah, I think budgeting is something that a lot of people overlook. And, you know, maybe they can pay their bills every month, but it's just it's it's that extra income that's left over that you can put into your retirement account, you can spend on some clothing, etc. But but it's that money that's going to be the difference of tens of thousands of dollars in your retirement account when you're 
60, 65, 70. Moving on your emergency fund, you want three to six months, I would say, of your living expenses in an emergency fund. This is just, you know, a separate savings account you have on the side just a savings account. You need some money in case things go wrong. Yeah. I just set up my emergency fund last month. I called my bank. I was, you know how you have like a checking and savings account, like for your debit card or for your bank account. Yeah. It was so easy. They added another savings account and I labeled it emergency fund. And I found that setting up an automatic transfer, it's like every Friday it puts $30 in. And right now that's really all I can manage to do. But just a little bit already, it's insane to see that much money in one place as my emergency fund. And, you know, if you start making more money, you can transfer more each week. Mm -hmm. But taking $30 out of your account, if it's automatic, you don't really think about it until later. And you're like, whoa, okay, I'm glad I did this because... (laughs) It adds up. Yeah, it adds up. And otherwise, I would not be sitting there being like, okay, I think I'm going to put this much in this week. Like, it's too hard to think of that, you know, each week adding that much thinking into your day. So I feel like banks make it pretty easy to add another account, not even another account, but just another area for your savings. And I found that that has been super helpful because before this, I didn't have any emergency fund. And then when something hits you like a car repairment or Mm -hmm. your utilities bill is more than you thought or something like that, it can really make a difference. Yeah. And that's a great point that I wasn't even going to touch on. You can set up automatic payments for your credit cards, automatic transfers, like you said, and that's just really preparing yourself for the worst which hopefully will never come, but it's always great to be prepared. Yeah. And part of that budgeting aspect is saving for retirement. You want to save between 10 to 20% of each of your paycheck into your retirement account. Now we're going to get more into that a little later, the different types of retirement accounts, a traditional versus a Roth IRA. What about your 401k through an employer? It really depends on your occupation, but we're going to to that. But yeah, those are three areas I definitely think you should consider budgeting, getting that emergency fund funded and saving for retirement each paycheck. Because like I'm going to go into the power of compounding, starting to save at 25, 26 versus 35, it can go a long way. Yeah. I was going to ask what age should people start implementing these different savings methods and funds into their life? ASAP. If you're 18 listening to this, start saving. If you're 27 listening to this, start saving. Even if you're older, start saving. I know we're saying like we're trying to prepare you, but it's also never too late. I'm 25. This is my first emergency fund. Instead of beating yourself up about like I should have saved this much by this time, just accept where you are in your life and make the change. A hundred percent. And I think that's a good segue into investing basics and we can just kick it off with the power of compounding. Why should you invest? Why should you save for retirement? There's a really high cost of waiting to save. Um, just looking at this chart here that you're going to post. Yeah. Anything that Kirk mentions, I'll put on Instagram. So make sure to check those out. So the monthly savings were required to accumulate one million dollars by age 65 you start at age 35 it's 702 dollars if you start at 45 it's 1776 1776 dollars start at age 55 it's 
$5,700 a month. And that's assuming an 8% return in the market. If you start saving at 25, I don't have that number, but it's probably around 500. Just pulling up another chart. If you make 50,000 a year and you save 4% of your salary and invest it in 30 years, you'll have around $200,000. If you save 6% of your $50,000 salary, you'll have $305,000. So compounding goes a it's crazy how those numbers add up. Yeah, yeah. It's if you can save just starting anywhere, like if you're pulling in $2,000 a month and you can put in 10% of that 200 a month into a retirement account and that money is being put in just a market ETF, that's a great start. And you don't need to know a lot about it. It's just passive investing. Okay, so I think a good start to this section would be to go over the four main asset classes that you that one can invest in to start fixed income. Now, this includes U.S. treasuries, corporate bonds, municipal bonds, um, certificates of deposits. Now, this is a type of very passive investing where let's say I'm selling a bond, Sky and you're buying one and you want to save $500, you want there to be very low risk. But with that comes lower return. I'm selling a bond that costs $500 and you buy it. You give me $500. Now I'm going to use that money to do whatever I want with it. But semi-annually, I'm going to give you a fixed percentage, the interest rate of that $500. So if it's 1%, I'm going to give you $5 every six months. So fixed income, it's a very safe form of investing versus equity. This is what you know is stocks. You're buying a share of a company. Company used that money to you know invest in projects, expand their products, etc. But it's considered a much more risky asset class but you typically see much higher returns than that. Third asset class, real estate, whether it's buying a house, buying an apartment and renting it out, et cetera. That's a much different form of investing that I don't think the typical young person as you or I has to worry about. Fourthly, cash. Now, holding cash is a form of investment, but typically you lose value due to inflation. Inflation is the concept that prices rise on average of two to three percent a year. So really just holding cash, like you might want to hold cash in a time of high volatility. Like if you're holding all your money in equity and the market tanks 40 percent, you know, your portfolio is going to bleed. But if you were just holding cash, nothing happens to it, but you can't project things like that nearly impossible. So that's where diversifying comes in. But I think that realistically, putting your money in equity in companies that you like, in companies that you're interested in, and specifically in ETFs, exchange traded funds, which I'm going to get into. I think that, you know, someone like you or I, that's a great start for investing. And you don't really need to worry about real estate or holding cash. Okay, what strategy should I have investing? Okay, Kirk, so you've told me to put 10 to 20% of each of my paychecks in my retirement account. What do I do with that money? You suggest putting it into equity, into companies that I like, et cetera. Yes, I think you should do that. I think that investing should be something that you take some pride in. Oh, you think Lululemon is going to you know, remain market leader in the leggings market segment. <laughs> okay. You know, put your money where your mouth is like, go for it. Oh, but there's this new company emerging and you like the material better. 
ooh, it's more comfy, whatever. Speaking my <laughs> language, although I don't shop at Lululemon because I don't have that kind of money, but <laughs> do you invest in Lululemon? Um, I think I made a few trades in that a few years ago if I held it, you know. So where do I put this money that you've told me to put into my retirement account? So strategy, broadly speaking, there are two strategies, passive investing and active investing. If you want to take that money that you're saving and move it around more frequently, put it into companies that you like. Oh, there's this emerging company. Oh, you read about them. You're researching them. Put money into that. Um, And you're making trades on a kind of monthly basis, that's more active. But what I would recommend is passive investing. Take that money that you're putting aside in your retirement account or your brokerage account and put that in an ETF, an exchange traded fund. Now, an exchange traded fund is very similar to a mutual fund. A mutual fund is a fund that's managed by, you know, financial professionals that you put your money in. And they put that money in a basket of different companies and stocks. So maybe some retail companies, retail clothing companies, maybe some oil producers, maybe some technology companies, whatever it is. It's like, okay, I'm putting my money in a fund that's investing in a multitude of different industries, mutual funds. Now, ETFs are basically mutual funds that are traded like a stock that you can just buy shares of on the stock market exchange, whereas a mutual fund is traded like off hours. Like you place a trade and don't quote me on this, but it's exercised at the end of market hours. And it's a little different. You have you have more liquidity and freedom with an ETF. Mm. So going back to the passive investing strategy, I would recommend putting your money in ETFs that basically mimic the market as a whole. The S&P 500, it's um, the largest 500 companies in the market in the United States exchanges in NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange. Now, when you put your money in that, you're betting on the fact that the market as a whole is going to grow. On average, it grows between 7 to 10% a year. Historically, like over the past, you know, century. So that's considered a safe investment because over the long term, you're going to get a positive return. There are going to be years where it's negative 5%, but there are going to be years that is plus 15%. And the idea is that you're saving for retirement, which is in, you know, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road. Hopefully a lot shorter for me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So basically those options are like basically putting your money in someone else's hands and they take care of investing it for you. That's if you're buying into a mutual fund. Oh, okay. Through your 401k, which you know, we'll get into the different aspects of retirement investing, but you may be limited to just mutual funds through your 401k. Mm -hmm. But if you open a brokerage account, if you open a traditional IRA on your own and you want to max it out at $6,000 a year, which I think is the, the max contribution limit right now, if you want to do that on your own, which I recommend, then I would suggest buying ETFs. Okay. And so if you want to buy ETFs, what do you do? Well, you would go on to your, you know, your account, your brokerage account. Okay. What's a brokerage account? A a brokerage account is an account that, that allows you a broker, a stock broker is someone, if I wanted to buy a stock back in the day, I would call my stock broker 
I'd say, Hey, like I want to put a hundred dollars in Microsoft. And he'd be like, okay. And he would facilitate that transaction. He's on the floor of the New York stock exchange making that. Happen. Okay. So a brokerage now is a company that you deposit money into and they're going to take, you know, fees here and there commissions here and there, but they're going to take that money and they're going to put it in what you want to invest in. Going more into ETFs, you can have a global equities ETF, an ETF that will put that money that you buy into, number of shares, however many you buy, into companies and industries across the globe. Or it could just be United States companies, or it could be just oil companies, or it could be just chip manufacturing companies, or it could just be technology companies, the NASDAQ. So, you know, there may be certain industries that you're more interested in, but when you buy an ETF, you're buying into a diversified bucket of companies. So if I buy just into Micron, they could do really well or they could do really bad. Um, That's a chip producer. But if I buy into a chip manufacturing ETF, they're putting my money in multiple companies, Micron, AMD, et cetera. And if Micron does poorly for some reason, my money, my returns are bolstered by that diversification. Right. Because it's like you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. You're covering your bases with other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So if I buy an S&P 500 ETF, I put all my money in that. I'm putting all my money in a wide variety of industries. The top 500 largest companies in the States, it's going to be from chip manufacturers to Tesla, to GM, to Walmart. So I'm betting on the market as a whole growing Mm -hmm. versus just Walmart growing or just Tesla growing. Okay. I just really want to reinforce the power of passive investing. You know, we went over the power of compounding. You start, you know, now at 25 versus 35, that can be the difference of, you know, 100 to $200,000 at 65 that you have for retirement. And passive investing, it really doesn't take a lot. You know, you do some research, you look into some ETFs and passive investing. It doesn't just mean buying into ETFs or the market as a whole. You can put it in companies that you believe will be successful in the long term and you let it sit there. You don't check it every day. You know, if you put money in Lululemon three years ago, you'd be doing pretty well right now. And you didn't have to check its price every day. And that's what it's about. I want you to approach investing with a long-term mindset because I promised like they've compared hedge fund managers, people that have made their career in the finance field in taking clients' money, investing it. They've taken their historical returns to a monkey, taking a dart and throwing it on a board with different companies. And there's been no difference in returns. Really? Yeah. It's so random. Wow. Our age group, we really know it's trending. If you really know it's trending, TikTok, whatever it is, and you can invest in it, it's a public company, and you really think that they're going to be a strong prospect in the long run, by all means, put your money in that. Mm -hmm. You know, put some of your money in the market as a whole too. But taking an active investing approach and trying to beat the market on a yearly basis, there's a higher chance that a monkey randomly selecting companies with darts can do better.
Wow. And it's, it's different for someone like you or people in the field or really into checking the stocks every morning or whatever. Like people have that as a part of their life. But the fact is, what you're trying to say is that the average person like me, who knows absolutely nothing about anything, could in fact be making money in the long run if I just put some percentage into one of those funds. Yeah, I mean, by all means, if you're really interested in Nike, if you think that Best Buy is going to adapt to this emerging online e-commerce model, then, you know, read articles about them, Mm -hmm. do research. Oh, there's this company that's driving autonomous driving technology that they manufacture sensors that allow these cars to, you know, drive autonomously you know, by all means, like get interested in it, do your research. Like, yeah, that's fun. You're really intrigued by these different companies, but you know, buy it and hold it and have faith. I just don't want you making trades every other day um, because it's not moving in the direction you want right away. It's all about the long-term wait. Yeah. Yeah. That was super helpful. Do you have our next topic in ya? Oh, for sure. Retirement. So like we mentioned earlier, you want to save 10 to 20% of your income, you know, every paycheck in your retirement account. Okay. What's a retirement account? How do I open one? Well, there are a few different things I'm talking about when I say that. So if you're at an employer that provides a 401k option, retirement savings benefit plan, then that's, that's, that's a type of way to save for retirement. You can contribute up to, I think, 19 thousand or twenty thousand dollars of your your annual salary to your 401k frankly you want to max that out if you're saving twenty thousand a year and you're putting it in the s p 500 etf the ticker is spy you know you'll be a millionaire by 65 if the market doesn't you know go to shit <laughs> okay great <laughs> but it, it's a lot to save twenty thousand a year yeah but If you don't have that option, you're making money through a company that doesn't provide that 401k benefit plan. And by the way, your company will have a match program too, where they'll help you save money if you contribute a certain amount of your income, but you can look into that. That's on a company level. Yeah. And you can probably go to your HR manager and say, you know, I mean, usually they present you with this information when you start with the company, but I know we had like random trainings throughout the year when I worked at a bigger company and you can go to your HR person at any time and just be like, give me all the information about how I can join a program for retirement. hundred percent. Now let's say you're maxing out that 401k. Guess what? You can also max out something called an IRA, an IRA. Now there are two types of IRAs. I honestly, I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's a retirement account. There are two types. There's a traditional and a Roth, and they're both very similar. The contribution limits are around the same. I think right now um, in 2020, it's around $6,000 a year. But for the Roth, let's say you save you know, $6,000 in this IRA account um, and you put it in whatever stock market index or ETF, and you make $50,000 that year, you're still going to be taxed at $50,000 as if you made that, even though you're saving that 6000 But when you retire, when you're 65 and you have this account, 
that now has $900,000 in it because it made 10% a year and you maxed it out for 35 years. When you take that $900,000 out, it's tax-free. It's not taxed at all. So now with a traditional IRA, if you make 50,000 a year and you use your max contribution of $6,000, your taxable income is only $44,000. So you're saving that difference between being taxed at, let's say a 20% tax rate for your $50,000 of income versus a 20% tax rate. Now it's only $44,000 of income. That said, all that money that you accumulate over your years before retirement, you hit 65, you now have $900,000 in your retirement account. You take that out, that's now taxed at your income tax rate at retirement. It could be between 15 and 20%. 10% of 900,000 is $90,000 times two, $180,000. Now you're taking $900,000 minus $180,000 out versus that full $900,000 that you've made from the Roth IRA. So, okay, how do I choose between the two? It sounds like a Roth is way better. Well, a Roth is only way better if you're an individual who expects to be in a higher tax bracket when he or she starts taking withdrawals near at retirement at around the age 65. So if you expect to be making a lot more money later in life, you know, through promotions, through job where you, know, you end up making a few hundred thousand dollars, yeah, a Roth IRA may be better for you. Now, a traditional IRA will be better for you if you're an individual expects to be in the same, around the same or a lower tax bracket when you start taking withdrawals. So essentially, a Roth IRA, you're not getting those tax savings from contributing now over the years. But when you're 65, you don't have to pay any tax on all that money you've made. Like maybe you've made $400,000 and you've contributed $300,000. You don't have to pay any tax on those gains. But a traditional IRA, you're going to have to pay 10 to 20%, depending on how much money you're getting from Social Security, from other investments, etc. So that said, I also want to add for the Roth IRA, there's a cap on your income for contributing to it, contributing to it. You can't be making, I think, above like $150,000 maybe. Um, you can pull it up. You can look it up. But if you make more than that, you can't contribute to a Roth IRA, mm. which makes sense, right? Because, you know, that's it's easy to cap that at, at $6,000 a year as well as a traditional IRA. I think that the main takeaway between a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA would be for a Roth, enjoy tax-free withdrawals in the future. Or with a traditional IRA, take advantage of tax benefits today. Pay less taxes, have more money in your pocket today. Whereas with the Roth, you're not paying any taxes on that future amount in your retirement account. That said, with the Roth, there is an income limit. I'm not quite sure what it is. I think it's around like $140,000. But if you make more than that, you just you can't contribute to a Roth IRA. But if you make less than that, you want to take advantage of that right away because you may save a lot more in the future. That was perfect. Oh my gosh. So that was a lot of information. I want to make sure that people don't overthink this. I mean, take time with what you're hearing. Go back, listen to it again. Write down the questions that come up and 
Google them, find an advisor to help you walk through this because it is a lot. I mean, there's a lot to learn. Just going off what Scott just said, there's a lot you can learn from professionals through, you know, a professional financial advisor, but there's a lot you can learn through just a few books, reading stuff online, doing your own research, and that save you a lot of money. Um, versus going to a financial advisor, especially for someone age 23 like me or Sky's age, you can figure this out on your own. That said, Kirk's toolkit, I got a bunch of tools for y'all here. (laughs) I'm so excited. Just to kick it off, we were just talking about retirement accounts, what is a brokerage, et cetera. I would 100% recommend Vanguard. It's a company called Vanguard. You can look it up. This is a company that you can open up a traditional IRA with, a Roth one, or just a brokerage account in general. You know, Let's say you're already maxing out your contributions to your Roth or traditional, and you have some more money that you want to play around with and put in the market. You want to go that extra mile. Um, this is a great company for flexibility. And just overall, it has a great selection of ETFs, Um, ETFs that track the bond market. If you want to put your money in fixed income, you're nervous about where the market's going to go in the next few years because of Biden being president, or I think it's going to be better because Biden's, oh shoot, Trump didn't get reelected. He was pro-business. I think the market's going to be worse this year. I'm going to put my money in this bond market ETF. Okay. What about international stocks or emerging market ETFs? There are a lot of different ETFs that you can invest in through Vanguard. It's also commission free for ETFs. And that's going to save you a few bucks here and there versus other brokerages. And they also, I believe they have the lowest expense ratios in the industry. For example, the average expense ratio across the entire fund industry, excluding Vanguard was 0.57% in 2019, which equates to a charge of $57 for every $10,000 invested. Compared that with Vanguard, the average for all of their mutual funds and ETS was just 0.1%. So just $10 for every $10,000 you invest. Um, and that's 83% lower. So that's for investing. A few okay. other companies that you might consider might be E-Trade, TD Ameritrade with their trading platform, Thinkorswim. That's for more active investors. If you want to get more into you know, trading on a monthly basis, maybe maybe weekly, if you're really getting into it. Another more mobile, simplified user interface brokerage that I'm sure you've heard about is Robinhood. Now, my only problem with Robinhood is that it kind of tends to turn me into a more active investor versus a passive one. Is that an app? Yeah, yeah. You just download it on your phone, you link your bank account to it, you insert money and you can buy stocks, commission free. But you know, just because it's so accessible, you can open it up in a heartbeat. I ended up all the time, adding more money in it consistently, and ultimately making riskier trades. Because you know, the stock market, like, honestly, if you aren't taking a passive approach, thinking long term, it can turn into a game. It's it's gambling, you know, and I implore you to kind of veer away from that approach. Yeah, you know, but if you think you have the self control, I think it's a great app for investors. Now, lastly, in terms of personal finance, a great website and app to track your budget that I use is called Every Dollar. It's really easy to use. Like I said, with you know typical 
budgeting strategy. You input your money or your biweekly, you know, paychecks, your rent, how much am I paying for living expenses, including groceries, whatever, utilities, how much do I want to contribute to my retirement account and any other expenses that you might have, maybe for your pet. Like I said, it's really important that you organize those paychecks and you don't let that leftover money after you pay your rent, after you pay your utilities, go to waste. Why not take a portion of that extra money put in retirement and then use that to kind of have fun? And this app has really allowed me to allocate my income in a more deliberate fashion. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, when I come home for Thanksgiving, you're going to have to set me up with all of this. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to have to take a fee though. I'm thinking 5%. <laughs> oh my God. Just kidding. Just kidding. Get the family discount 1%. <laughs> I knew that something was weird with Kirk when I was like 22 years old and he was like still a kid, like 19 or something. And he texted me and was like, Hey, just checking in. Do you have a retirement fund set up? If not, you should. And I was like, <laughs> I don't even have a job. <laughs> I just love that because it really shows that you care about helping people and making sure that, you know, I think if you follow a lot of these steps, you'll be set up for success as you move into the future and as you get older. So Mm -hmm. thank you for taking the time today to walk us through all of these different pointers. We talked about personal finance, investing, retirement, And I'll make sure to share all of those special apps and websites to the Instagram for Kirk's Toolkit, because I think those are those are easy ways to at least just step into the world of personal finance and kind of taking control of your finances. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for having me. If there's just one takeaway that I want you to walk away with it would be have a long-term mindset for your retirement. In the moment, $100 a week or every other week may seem like, oh, I can spend that on drinks or I can go out to eat a few more times, a couple more times a week. That money can be the difference. You know, in 30 years, being a millionaire versus, you know, retiring with $500,000. So just having that long-term mindset and doing a little research on your own. Yeah feel free to reach out to me. Sky can help you with that. And I can try to point you in the right direction. But yeah, I hope that I got the basics down and you can uh, start saving today. So DM the Beaming account or my account, Sky, on Instagram. And if you have any personal questions that you want to connect with Kirk about, we can definitely make that happen. Thanks again, Kirk. I love you so much. Thanks for being on the show today. I really think that you gave a lot of great information. I know I'm ready to take control of my personal finances, which uh, (laughs) I've been putting off for my whole life. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you again. I love you too. Yeah. Thanks for having me anytime. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Beaming. I want to share how thankful I am for each and every one of you, whether this is the first episode you're listening to or the sixth. I cannot believe it. I'm so grateful for all of your support. Stay safe and stay smiling. Cheers. Cheers.